Hello everyone, and welcome to the October 20th edition of WorkConf Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd Scarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our crime report. A Grass Valley psychologist, Pamlin Kelly, is suspected of fraudulently billing insurance companies for services that were never performed. She is now under investigation by a litany of departments, including the State Department of Insurance, the U.S. Department of Labor, and the Nevada County District Attorney's Office. Agencies were alerted when a patient discovered services that were billed to her insurance company but were never performed. Investigators served a search warrant at Kelly's Grass Valley home. What they found gave them enough evidence to make the allegations public. As a result, Kelly is accused of workers' compensation fraud, which is a felony in California. Although this began with one patient, investigators suspect other instances of fraud. There are two simultaneous investigations, the criminal investigation and an administrative investigation, which will determine whether disciplinary action should be taken against Kelly's license. As of now, Kelly is still able to practice. If anyone has information about this case, please contact the supervising investigator, Mark Loomis, at 916-263-2585. High bowling scores helped convict a janitor with a shoulder injury. Damon Fraticelli, a 27-year Travis Unified School District employee, pleaded guilty to one felony count of workers' compensation fraud last week. Fraticelli had alleged an on-the-job injury, which he said prevented him from doing any of his duties as a janitor or participating in any physical activities. According to investigators, Fraticelli told his physician that pain in his right shoulder was so severe he could only wipe and clean tables with his left hand. But the following day, Fraticelli was filmed bowling with his right arm for approximately 40 minutes. Also, at about this time, Fraticelli's name appeared in newspapers as achieving top bowling scores. An investigation by the North Bay Schools Insurance Authority and the Solano County District Attorney's Office Fraud Unit revealed several examples of alleged misrepresentations. Fraticelli was sentenced to five years of probation and, a require, and required to perform community service in addition to, paying ordered, to being ordered to pay $10,000 in restitution. A national medical billing company has agreed to pay $1.95 million for allegedly defrauding the Medicare and Medicaid systems. And federal officials announced that fraud investigations and prosecutions from now on will include these medical coding companies. They claim that culpability can now be placed on non-medical administrative perpetrators that are involved in nothing more than the paperwork end of a medical practice. Medical Business Service has agreed to pay $1.95 million to settle claims that it fraudulently challenged diagnosis codes on claims to Medicare and Medicaid in order to get the rejected claims paid on behalf of radiologists. Medicare and Medicaid had previously issued guidance stating that they will not pay for certain procedures given to patients with specific diagnosis. 
to circumvent this guidance, the billing company changed the diagnosis codes on previously rejected claims to avoid those restrictions and have the claims paid. This civil settlement resolves a lawsuit filed under the Qui Tam or whistleblower provisions of the False Claims Act, which allow private citizens to bring civil actions and share in any recovery obtained. Federal officials said that billing companies provide a key checkpoint to combat medical billing fraud. Consequently, they will be examined with the same scrutiny as healthcare providers. The Justice Department's total recoveries in False Claims Act cases since January 2009 are over $20 billion. And in regulatory news, the DWC has issued a notice of public hearing to revise various provisions of the official medical fee schedule. This hearing has been scheduled for November 14th at 10 a.m. in the auditorium of Elihu Harris Building, 1515 Clay Street in Oakland. Members of the public may also submit written comments on the regulations until 5 p.m. that day. The division has become aware of the misapplication of the effective dates of various fee schedule provisions, which will be clarified in this amendment. The changes also clarify that hospitals transferring an inpatient to another hospital or post-acute care provider are eligible to receive an outlier payment for qualifying cases. The notice, initial statement of reasons, and text of the regulations can be found on the proposed regulations web page. The DIR director is taking a bit of umbrage with a study released last week that showed that California was ranked as the most expensive in the nation for workers' compensation. California topped the 2014 Oregon Workers' Compensation Premium Rate Ranking Summary. Premium rates in the report ranged from a low of $0.88 cents in North Dakota to $3.48 in California per $100 payroll. Oregon ranked 43rd. Reportedly, its best performance in the report was first put out in 1988. The report was seized on by the Workers' Compensation Action Network as an example of how tough it is to be an employer in California. But DIR Director Christine Baker fired back and called out some issues she had with the study. Baker said, the report compares different occupational classes and it fails to include adjustments resulting from the application of deductible plans or the return of policyholder dividends. She added that the industrial mix and the size of California's employment ranks are not comparable to the other states in the study. She said, it makes Oregon look really good, but it's apples to oranges for California since it is just not comparable. But Jay Daughter, who put together the Oregon study, said that any way you slice the report, it does not bode well for California's workers' compensation system. He added that the industry mix really doesn't have that big of an effect on the rankings. Also, not taken into account in the report are SB863 reforms, many of which, according to Baker, have yet to take effect. She says it will take another two to three years. Daughter acknowledged that the report does not reflect SB863 reforms, but 
he added that more will be known after the 2016 study. The DWC announced that registration for its 22nd annual educational conference is now open. This is the largest workers' compensation educational event in the state. It is held in February in both Northern and Southern California. Speakers from the DWC and the private sector will address the most current topics and issues. The conference will take place February 9th and 10th, 2015 at the Los Angeles Airport Marriott and February 19th and 20th at the Oakland Marriott City Center Hotel. Attendee, exhibitor, and sponsor registration forms may be downloaded from the conference website. Flyers were recently mailed to more than 8,000 names. This annual event is the largest workers' compensation training in the state. Continuing education credits will be available for attorneys, claims adjusters, rehabilitation counselors, case managers, disability management, and qualified medical examiner certifying organizations. Organizations who would like to become sponsors of the conference can do so by going to the website. In 2014, more than 1,800 attendees and 135 exhibitors signed up. So, DWC encourages early registration. Workers' compensation experts explained how to control workers' comp costs related to opiate management and the aging workforce during businesses' insurance's fifth annual workers' comp and safety virtual conference. This conference is now online for free. In his keynote speech, William Zachary, Vice President of Risk Management for Safeway Incorporated, talked about the top 10 cost drivers for workers' compensation claims. Mr. Zachary's recommendations in included connecting utilization review and bill review processes for comp claims using pre-employment screenings to avoid placing workers in jobs that they are physically unfit to perform and reducing litigation in comp cases by showing an interest in injured workers. Kimberly George, Senior Vice President and Senior Healthcare Advisor for Sedgwick Claims Management Services, talked about the challenges and opportunities that go hand in hand with the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act. In a presentation on controlling the use of opiates in workers' comp, speakers discussed guidelines for prescribing such medications and the use of prescription formularies to prevent over-prescribing. Dr. Steven Feinberg said, the use of opiates may be appropriate for some patients but it's best to avoid long-term use of such drugs. Alex Swedlow, president of the CWCI and Vanilla Thumla with the WCIR, presented evidence that closed prescription drug formularies could help reduce workers' compensation medical costs. Lance Perry, senior ergonomist and professional engineer for Zurich Services Corp, said, Ergonomics is key to keeping older workers safe and healthy. You can view the entire event on demand online at businessinsurance.com. And now, our medical report. Physical therapy after total hip and total knee replacement surgery is standard care for all patients. Now, a new study appearing in the journal 
of bone and joint surgery found that physical therapy before joint replacement surgery or pre-rehabilitation can save an average of $1,215 in a post-operative care. Approximately 50 million U.S. adults have physician-diagnosed arthritis. As the condition progresses, arthritis patients often require hip or knee replacements. In recent years, the length of hospital stay following surgeries has decreased from an average of 9.1 days in 1990 to 3.7 days in 2008. While the cost of post-acute care primarily in skilled nursing facilities and whole health agencies has skyrocketed. Healthcare costs following acute hospital care have been identified as a major contributor to regional variation in Medicare spending. This study investigated the associations of preoperative physical therapy and post-acute care resource use and its effect on the total cost of care during primary hip or knee arthroplasty. Researchers reviewed usage patterns for 4,733 post-surgical patients. Approximately 77% of these patients utilized care services following surgery. Patients receiving preoperative physical therapy showed a 29% reduction in post-operative care use. This preoperative physical therapy cost an average of $100 per patient and was generally limited to one or two sessions. The decline in post-operative care services resulted in a cost reduction of $1,215 per patient due largely to lower costs for skilled nursing facility and home health agency care. Pre-rehabilitation thus creates an opportunity to preempt post-operative costs. It's been the conventional wisdom for decades that healthcare costs are high in part because doctors order expensive tests to protect themselves from malpractice lawsuits. But new evidence by Rand Corporation says this assumption is wrong. The study found that the cost of care did not go down in three states where the laws were rewritten to make it virtually impossible to sue an emergency room doctor for mistakes. The chief author of the study said that malpractice reform is a blind alley as far as cost reform is involved. The new study published in the New England Journal of Medicine looked at costs before and after Georgia, Texas, and Southern, California, Southern Carolina changed their laws. The changes are only emergency department doctors to be sued for gross negligence and almost impossible threshold to meet. The team's analysis of more than 3.8 million records from over 1,000 hospitals made a comparison to neighboring states where the standard of malpractice remained ordinary negligence. A long-standing belief among physicians and laypeople is that these physicians order more CT scans and MRIs and admit people to the hospital out of fear of being sued. But when a team examined emergency room bills, they found no difference in nearly every measure before and after the three states changed their laws. Only in Georgia did they see any shift at all. 
a 3.6% drop in the average emergency room charge compared to neighboring states after the Peach State revised its laws in 2005. Although there was a small reduction in Georgia, the study results in aggregate suggest that these strongly protective laws cause little, if any, change in practice intensity among physicians. The new laws may not have changed how doctors practice, but in Texas, the 2003 reforms cut the number of malpractice lawsuits by 60% and the total of malpractice payments by 70%. This certainly runs counter to legislative, legislative expectations. Basically, no doctor wants to be sued, but doctors also don't want to make mistakes. They don't want to cause harm and they don't want to say no to patients. So everything favors doing more. And in other news, a shooting at the State of Nevada Department of Administrative Hearings in Las Vegas stemmed from an 11-year-old workers' compensation claim. The shooting victim, Michael Kogler, previously worked with the accused shooter, 73-year-old Leonard Sullivan, at MGM Resorts as a claims adjuster. Sullivan, who was dressed in a suit, wore a hat, and carried a cane, was seen by multiple people before the shooting. Moments later, Kogler passed Sullivan on a walkway and shot him in the upper chest. He was taken to University Medical Center and is expected to survive the shooting. Sullivan was subdued by security officers and arrested when police arrived at the office building. Sullivan faces one charge of attempted murder. Police received a call the day before the shooting from an acquaintance who said Sullivan had made suicidal remarks. The victim said he worked with Sullivan 10 years ago for MGM Mirage, where he was a claims adjuster. At the time, Sullivan said he tripped over a luggage cart at the Las Vegas Hotel. Sullivan has filed numerous claims and had been to the hearing office on several occasions before the shooting. Well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and drop by again next week for more news.